The following audio is from Fellowship Baptist Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to make and mature disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. of January 19, 2015, 14-year-old John Smith and his two closest friends were out having some fun on an icy Missouri lake. Suddenly, the ice broke underneath, and they found themselves fighting for their lives, trying not to drown. Two of the boys were able to stay above the water, but John was not so fortunate. He went under, and he didn't come back up. Fifteen minutes later, a rescue team of firefighters plunged into the icy waters and began literally fishing for John's body. They were able to pull him out. However, he was underwater for more than 15 minutes and had no pulse or heartbeat when they pulled him out. He was rushed to the hospital where they tried to revive him but were unsuccessful. John Smith had no pulse and no heartbeat for over 45 minutes and was medically declared dead. The doctor of the emergency room allowed John's mother to come in and see him and to say her goodbyes. John's mother walked into the room to see her little boy laying on that hospital bed. What happened next was something no one uh, would ever expect. John's mother began to pray. She began to pray over him. And she's been quoted saying, The minute I prayed, Holy Spirit, please come and give me back my son, his heartbeat started. John's heart began to beat, and he all of a sudden had a pulse again. John would spend the next two weeks in the hospital, and 16 days after the incident, he walked out of that hospital on his own power with no residual effects whatsoever. No brain damage, nothing. He was totally fine. Dr. Kent Stutterer was quoted saying, patient died, mother prayed, patient came back to life. You might have seen, they made a movie about this. I think it's called Breakthrough. And it's a true story, uh, real people, who this miracle really happened to. The topic of miracles is an interesting one, wouldn't you say? There are some today who believe or don't believe that God still performs miracles today. There are others who believe that God is like this magical genie who can grant you whatever miracle at whatever time you say, as long as you have faith. There are still others who just don't know what they believe about miracles. They're skeptical or they're not sure, and they just have this, you know, we're just not sure. Well, let's see what the Bible has to say about this this morning, amen? What is God's take on the miraculous? I think whenever we are undecisive about something, we should always look to the Word of God to see what He says first. Amen? Turn with me to the book of Ezekiel, if you would. The book of Ezekiel, chapter 37. If you have your Bible this morning or an iPad or however you choose to do that, if you don't, it'll be on the screen for you. Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 10, read like this. The hand of the Lord was on me, and He brought me out by his spirit, and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of dry bones. He led me all around them. There were a great many of them on the surface of the valley. 
and they were very dry. Then he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? I replied, Lord God, only you know. He said to me, prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you and I will make you live. I will put tendons on you, make flesh grow on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you may come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had, uh, as I had been commanded. While I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together uh, bone to bone. As I looked, tendons appeared on them, flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. He said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, say to it, this is what the Lord God says, breathe. Come from the four winds and breathe into these slain so that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, the breath entered them, and they came to life and stood to their feet, a vast army. Woo! That's some powerful stuff right there. That's some powerful stuff right there. Dry bones coming to life. Not something you would see every day. Amen? <laughs> that, yeah, I've never seen that in my life. So God had this point to make with Ezekiel and with the people of Israel. Just a little bit of context. The people of Israel had been defeated. They had been taken over by Babylon, and they thought that all was lost. And so then God commands Ezekiel. He says, go, uh, go and tell them that they will live once again, and he would be the one to make it happen, that the people of Israel would be resurrected, spiritually speaking, and God would make it happen. So he takes Ezekiel to this valley of dry, dead bones. Can you imagine that? Put yourself in those shoes for a minute. You're Ezekiel. And God calls you to this valley of old, dry, dead bones. And then God tells you, hey, speak to these bones and they will come to life. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I want to be there at that moment when all these bones are coming to life. Okay? I've seen the movie The Mummy and that didn't turn out too good for those guys. That sounds very scary to me, okay? These dead, dry bones coming to life. But God said to Ezekiel, do this and it will happen. This is my favorite part right here. Verses five and six out of the whole thing is my favorite part. He says, this is what the Lord God says to these bones. I, who's that? God, I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will put tendons on you, make flesh grow on you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you come to life. Then, then you will know that I am the Lord. God has always been in the business of bringing dead things to life. Let me say that again. God has always been in the business of bringing dead things to life. Now, there are only two ways that you can bring something that's dead back to life, through the physical and through the spiritual. That's the only way. The Bible shows us that. In the Gospels, we read about Lazarus. Do you remember that? How Jesus had this really good friend, Lazarus, and Lazarus had these sisters, and uh, he got sick, and they were wanting Jesus to come because they knew Jesus was a healer and that Jesus could, could work this miracle on their brother, and Jesus never came, right? God told him, don't go yet. 
And, and Jesus was a little upset about that. And he got there and, and the brother was dead. He had been in the tomb for four days and the sisters were upset with Jesus. Why didn't you come? Why didn't you come? You could have, you could have saved him. And Jesus weeps. And then we read this in John 11, chapter 41 through 44. They took him to the grave site. And then we read, so they removed the stone where he'd been buried. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen straps and with his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. Again, in Mark chapter 5, we see Jesus at work bringing Jairus' daughter back to life. You remember she was sick. They went to Jesus. She ended up dying as they were on their way, and Jesus brought her back to life. That's the physical, right? God, at times, uses his power to bring what's physically dead back to life. He's God. He can do that whenever he chooses to. If God decides that somebody who is physically dead needs to come back to life and he chooses it to be so, he can do it. He's God. Notice what I said there because I said it on purpose. God chooses when something comes back from life, uh, from death to life, not us. God's the one who chooses what comes back from dead to life. But what about the spiritual, right? We have the physical, we have the spiritual. What about the spiritual? What about spiritual death coming back to life? Look at what Ephesians chapter 2 says. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 and 5 says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Even though you were dead, spiritually speaking, you had no life. You were dead to God. You were dead to the things of God. You were hostile towards God. You were dead. But because of Jesus and the grace that God offers, he brought you back to life through the gospel. Look at 1 John 3.14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. There was a point in your life There's a point in everybody's life to where they don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And and we were all there at one point, and you're spiritually dead, the Bible says. You're dead. You you can't bring yourself back to life. You, You can't even get to God in a prayer because you are dead, spiritually speaking. Now, unless that's the prayer of repentance once his Holy Spirit has quickened your heart, that's different. But if if we're just spiritually dead heathens pretty much uh we're we're all there at one point and we're praying out to god how can he hear us if dead men don't speak we're spiritually dead so what exactly does it mean to be spiritually dead you might be sitting here in church this morning and think you know i was just fine before i got saved i didn't feel dead wasn't nothing wrong with me You might be sitting here this morning and think, I don't know anything about this Jesus guy or being saved, but I sure don't feel like I'm dead. I've talked to many people like that who don't know Jesus. They said, you're crazy. I'm not dead. I'm fully well, right? I'm a good person. I make more good decisions than I make bad decisions. How can I be dead? 
Spiritual death is not a death of morality. That's not the way that works. Spiritual death is the idea that something that is dead cannot come back to life on its own. And when you are hostile towards God and have no relationship with him, then there's no way you can resurrect yourself. You might say, besides, if it has no effect on the physical, why should I care about the spiritual? Right? If you say, hey, fine, preacher guy, I'm spiritually dead, but if it has no effect on my physical, then why should I care? Look at Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve in the beginning, they were in the garden, they were perfect, and God said, don't eat this fruit because then you will die. What the serpent do? He came and, he's, and he, starts, he starts speaking into their ear. He sp- starts whispering to him, saying, hey, you know, you won't die. You really won't die a physical death. God knows that when you eat this fruit, you'll become like him and you'll know everything you need to know. Isn't that what we want? We want to know like God. We want to be like God. That's why we have all these questions about life and, and what happens to us after we die and why are we born in the first place and evolution versus creation. And we have it all mixed up in our head because we want to know. And Satan comes to Eve and deceives her and says, no, 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 no. You're not going to die. You, that, that's not, God would not kill you. God loves you. Why would you die? And so she eats the fruit and gives to her husband And then what happens? Spiritual death comes upon them in the instant that they do it. The eyes are open, it says. They know that they're naked when that wasn't a problem before the spiritual death. And they're afraid. They're afraid. Spiritual death makes you afraid of the uncertainty of what this life has to offer. Amen? Hey, when you don't know if you're going to heaven or hell, that's a scary place to be. I'd be afraid too. When you don't know what happens to you after you die and you don't have that assurance, you better be afraid. Spiritual death brings the fear of uncertainty of your life. And that's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. They were afraid. And you know what? They did physically die. Before they ate that fruit, they were going to live forever. They were going to live in communion with God, and they were going to be connected with him and live forever. And they ate that fruit when he told them not to, and they were spiritually dead, and that spiritual death brought physical death upon everyone after them. There was high consequences for the idea of a spiritual death. Look at Ephesians again. This is chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, who's that? That's all of us. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Meaning you had no life whatsoever to you because you didn't have Jesus to fill you up with that life. You were dead. And if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, then there was a process of God spiritually bringing you from death to life. That's the picture we get. That it is God's miraculous power of bringing you from death to life. And just because it happens in the spiritual sense does not make it any less important than the physical sense. Let's back that train up a little while. If, if you see a dead man laying here on the carpet, and everybody knows he's dead. We have plenty of nurses in here to verify if something like that were to happen. And he comes back to life. That's a big deal. 
Amen? I would hope so, because I've never seen that in my life. It's the same thing, if not greater, the Bible says, that if you have this spiritual death, you can't revive yourself, you can't make yourself breathe again, and God brings you back to life. It's even greater in the spiritual sense because you don't even know that you're dead. But God is a God of resurrection. Let's go to our key text this morning. I uh, started a little differently, but we're, we are fellowship. We're going to go right to where we've been, Acts chapter 42 and 43, uh, Acts chapter 2, thank you. Chapter 2, verses 42 uh, and 43, we're, we're all the way to 47, but I'm just going to do 42 and 43 this morning. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and 43 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. So the first week of our series, We Are Fellowship, we talked about family, we talked about how we love one another, and we're in fellowship with one another. And when this first church began to form, they made sure, without a shadow of a doubt, that their foundation was going to be solely on the Word of God. That's what the apostles were teaching them. Remember, we talked about the Old Testament and how the apostles even wrote scripture. So they knew this was going to be pivotal, that the foundation of who the church was going to be was founded upon the Bible. And then we learned last week from Daniel about the importance of Christ-centered community, that we should be there for one another. If somebody's in need, we should help them. We should all help each other. They had all things in common is what it said. They gave generously. Why? Because that's what you do with family. And so we learned about that, this Christ-centeredness that they have. Well, this morning, I want to back up a little bit and focus on verse 43, because Daniel didn't hit it on purpose last week. Verse 43 says, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Why does it say everyone was filled with awe? Now, you might say because of the signs and wonders, but that's not what it says here. That's not what it says here. It says everyone was filled with awe and Many signs and wonders were being performed by the apostles. They were in awe about the first thing, and then miracles came next. Look at what was happening all around them. We back up to verse 41, and it says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were saved. That's a big deal. Listen, if we had 3,000 people saved this morning, I'd be in awe too. Yeah, amen. That'd be awesome. That would be something to get excited about and to be in awe about. But it wasn't just like this big Sunday that everybody was excited about. It was what was going along with people genuinely surrendering their lives to Jesus Christ. It brought about life change. There was this spiritual awakening outside of any other framework that could be given to them at the time. Paganism and just all different kinds of wrong living That couldn't bring life change to them the way they were seeing it. They were seeing it and they were in awe. And there was the physical as well. It says that the apostles were doing all these signs and wonders and they were performing miracles. That's the physical side. And you might say, yeah, well, I've never seen a physical miracle. Well, maybe not. But do you think all 3,000 of these people, they saw the physical miracle? I doubt it. But they heard and they believed. They heard and they believed. 
Listen, church, are we in awe this morning? Are we in awe of the things that God does right in front of our eyes? We should be. We should be. And do we believe? Like, do we really believe? Do we really believe that God can bring something back to life, that God is a resurrector of not only physical death, but spiritual death as well. I think sometimes we miss this part. Uh, you know, I think we, get, we tend to get caught up in our busy lives and, you know, we, we got all kinds of things going on that, that you know, that, that we forget that God wants to perform miracles and he wants uh, to do it right in front of our eyes. Sometimes we get really comfortable and the miraculous seems to like take a back seat, right? Sure, I, yeah, I know God can do all that stuff, but it doesn't mean that, you know, I care about it that much. No, listen, this is an important thing that God resurrects life. Why would it be any different today than it was for the first church when they were experiencing it? You ever think about that? Why would it be any different today that the things that the first church was experiencing, why do we not experience that? And I'm not talking about the miracles and signs and wonders, but we should be in awe about what God is doing in the lives of people so much so that we get excited and that we anticipate it and that we expect it to happen when we see these things happen. Amen? We should be, as a church, we should be seeing these things happen. They were in awe because they saw and they believed, or they heard and they believed. And even when they could not see with their physical eyes, their spiritual eyes took over and the miraculous happened. Even when they couldn't see with their physical eyes, their spiritual eyes were, were opened and the miraculous happened. God moved. Listen, God is still moving today. God is still moving today. Do we not serve the same God or has he changed? He hasn't changed, I promise you that. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Forever, meaning if Jesus was working in a way in his church back then, the way he was working, then Jesus is absolutely working or should be working in the same way in his church today. And there should be no difference for us. We should be able to see the things that God does and we should be in awe just as the first church was in awe. It's exciting to see life change. I get excited. Do you get excited to see life change? Right? They were experiencing this life-altering change that would change the future of the world. We talked about it in uh, growth group this morning, how Christianity came into the world and changed the trajectory of the entire world as we know it. History was no longer the same because of Jesus Christ. Whether you believe in him or not, he changed the world. He changed the trajectory of the world. He changed the trajectory of nations. And they experienced it not only the miraculous in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense the same. Later in the book of Acts, we read about the apostle Paul, who used to be called Saul. You've read that part. And how he was like this terrorist, literally, in a literal sense. He went from being a murderer upon his own admission in the book of Acts to becoming probably the most influential Christian of all time. Think about that for a second. He went from being a terrorist murderer to being one of the most influential Christians of all time. 
That's something to be in awe about, church. Right? That's something to get excited about. That God can take this no good, nothing, dead, dry bones in a person's spiritual sense, resurrect them, awaken them, and then use them for his glory on the other side. That's exciting. That excites me. I want to be in awe of that. I want to see that. I want to see God doing it. And it's something that we should be expecting to happen, this radical life change, because that's what accompanies the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, if I'm preaching to you or Daniel is preaching to you a gospel that has no life change, that has no expectancy of the miraculous in you, then go find another church, please, because then you would be following the wrong thing. God's gospel through Jesus Christ brings about a resurrection in your life that is so life-altering, you're no longer the same. The Bible argues you cannot be the same if the Holy Spirit lives within you and because the fruit of that will just come gushing out of you. That's the power of the Holy Spirit in someone's life. That is resurrection from spiritual death to life. Should we not gather on the expectation that when we are faithful to the mission, God will move? We should be. We should gather on the expectation that if we do the mission that God has commanded us to do, then he will move. Not that he might move. Not that we might see somebody get saved here and there and, you know, whatever. No, that the radicalness of the gospel should change lives all the time. Is it, are we doing our job to take it out? Is it our fault? We have to all ask ourselves that. Am I doing my job to get the gospel out so that somebody can be radically changed for Jesus Christ? Maybe, maybe it's because we haven't seen God move in a while. I get that. I, listen, I, I, I got saved at a church I was there 10 years, and I bet we saw three people get saved. That, you don't want that. Right? Maybe it's because we haven't seen God move in a while. Maybe we question if things like this actually take place. Kind of like if there's some myth, you know? Like, oh, yeah, I read about it, about Paul and all, but he's in the Bible, right? He's some character in, that happened 2,000 years ago. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, and you're skeptical of God and working through miracles. I get that too. I get that too. We sometimes can be skeptical of what God says in this word. Listen, if God dropped me off in the valley of dry bones and said some of that stuff, I'd be skeptical too. But we should believe it, right? We should believe that God can take something that's dead so dead. That was his point in Ezekiel. It was gone. Dead, dry bones that are never going to live again. And breathe this life into them to where they were totally different from when Ezekiel started. Would you agree? It was miraculous. I got a video I want to show you this morning. And if you have any doubts about God working in the miraculous here, at fellowship, or if you're skeptical at all about God resurrecting dead things, watch this.
My life before Jesus was lost. Um, it was chaotic and depressing. It was, I was an alcoholic. Um, our marriage was probably going down a little bit, so I just wasn't where I needed to be. I wasn't happy, I wasn't happy with myself. Um, my friends were just always with me to, you know, have fun and drink and I wasn't a good mom. I wasn't a good wife or a good friend, a good daughter, a good sister. I wasn't, I just wasn't a good person. I mean, I had a conviction to start going to church uh, and I started going even though it was just me. And then I dug deeper and started going to Sunday school we were going through Romans and I start bawling like a baby because I was the most unhappy I'd ever been with myself in my whole entire life. Uh, in February of 2019, I gave my life to Jesus Christ and surrendered. And it just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. The Holy Spirit like really changed my life and came into me and I guess over time being in there and, and learning and and accepting the word for what it was and what it meant to me like it just it changed me um, before i came to know jesus i was an atheist i was an addict i was always scared because i'd be worried about something that i could not control and then I'd take it out on my wife, I took it out on my kids, my coworkers, just in anger, because I couldn't understand why things were the way they were. As an atheist, I loved to argue with Christians. I loved to challenge their thoughts. So what made me think about going to Christ? I remember, horrible argument we had together. I screamed at her. I was like, I don't believe. I'll never believe. You go do you. And and during this time, she was going through this whole conviction of, you know, I, I need this. I need God. And I was so blind. I said things that were horrible. And then uh, I started coming just to make her feel better because things I said I should never have said. On February 18th, it was Monday. It was around 5 o'clock. And she finally decided, I guess, have enough courage to tell me that a pastor was coming over and that she would quit drinking and today was her first day and she needed, you know, help. And, you know, it had been a long day at work. And on Mondays we worked till seven. I was like, no, I don't, I don't want these people in my house. I don't want anything to do with this. Why are you doing this? Like, why? And then I met Julian. The one person that I probably would have listened to in the entire world showed up at my doorstep. And he challenged my thought process. And I noticed something about him. A person that had a very similar past to me. A very, you know, dark past. But he didn't have that weight on him. 
And that's something that had been eating me alive, my past. It made me curious. It made me want to know more. The next day, the very next day, something real tragic happened to somebody within my family. I saw what a person like me, an addict, person who didn't have Christ in their heart, you know, do something horrible to somebody that they loved. And it made me think even more. It made me want to find answers. At this point, I was still very atheist. I, I did not know whether I believed or not. I, I was convicted within myself as far as my what I had learned and everything else. I, I was just coming because I needed answers. On uh, March 19th, I got into a, my dad got into an argument with me. And uh, there was something so petty. He thought I had taken something of his, which he later, later found. And he called me and screaming at me, telling me all these names and, and just telling me how rotten I was and all the most horrible things you could ever imagine. You know, and I, I swore to him, I was like, I didn't take it. It's, it's in the room, it's somewhere, you know, like I, and then, um, after I was done arguing with him, I stopped answering the phone. And uh, he called me one last time and I picked it up. And he goes, I'm sorry, son. I found it, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't even acknowledge him. <laughs> I just hung up the phone. And then uh, I got a weird number called me. And it was my brother that uh, my dad had just killed himself and that I needed to get there. That, in the past, with my depression, my addiction, I would have fallen apart. With my thought process as far as being an atheist, being somebody who's away from God, I don't know where I would be. I don't know where my family would be. That genuine love that I received from everybody, didn't even know what to say. It showed me that God was real. I dug deeper in myself. Easter, April 2019, I decided to give my life over to Christ. It was the greatest feeling I've ever had in my life. So, since we've both been saved, uh, we are actively learning. Our week consists of Tuesday nights I do Bible study, Wednesday nights we go to church, Thursday nights Jose does Bible study, Friday nights we do a couple's Bible study. Every other Saturday I work, but almost every Saturday we have somebody from church that we've made friends with over or somebody that we're reaching out to. And then Sundays we come to church. And it's probably the best 
the best thing that's ever happened to us. Growing every day closer to him, you know, and it's, it's a beautiful life. Like, it's completely fulfilled. And, and then on top of it, like, all those weights, all, all that burden, all that weight on your shoulders from your day-to-day -day life, from your past, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's you're his servant. I am his servant. And as long as he is first, everything else comes into line. And that is the most beautiful thing. I am Brittany Gonzalez and I am Fellowship. I am Jose Gonzalez and I am Fellowship. God has always been in the business of bringing dead things to life. That's the miraculous. That's the miraculous. How does someone go from being an alcoholic and considering themselves to be a horrible person and having no direction and no purpose in life to being clean and sober and then totally fulfilled by Jesus Christ. That only happens through Jesus Christ resurrecting someone from the dead. Spiritually dead, defeated. You can't resurrect yourself. How does someone go from being an atheist uh, and hostile towards God and being an addict and, and not believing anything at all to one year later leading Bible studies of his own. That's the miraculous. That's things that go without explanation. I can't explain those things. We can't explain these things. That only happens when God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, breathes resurrecting life into dry, dead bones. Dry, dead bones. We read it. Look right here in Ezekiel again, 37, 5 and 6. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will put tendons on you, make flesh grow on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you may come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Listen, listen, church, look around you. Look all around you. There are people who are lost and spiritually dead. They're, they're everywhere. Jesus has commanded the church to go. We're here. We are fellowship. We've been learning that. But listen, if we do all the other stuff and don't go and don't give people the opportunity to understand resurrecting spiritual life, then it's all for nothing. You cannot, you cannot sit on the sidelines and then expect God to do the miraculous. It doesn't work that way. Do we believe it? Do we really believe it? Do we believe it? Do we expect it? Listen, Nederland is the valley of dry bones. Mid-County is the valley of dry bones, and God has brought us, and he's placed us at the center of them, and he says, you tell these bones to live. 
Tell these bones to live. We have the word of God that brings resurrecting power into the spiritualness of people's lives. And he wants us to do it. That's proof right there in front of our very eyes that it is possible and that it happens and that it happens because we are fellowship. Because of your prayers, because of the way God works through us, people were able to resurrect from the dead. That's the miraculous. That's the God I serve. That's the Jesus that we follow. Is that he says, you want to see some cool stuff? Come on. You want to see life change? You want to see God move in power? The Holy Spirit bringing death to life? Sign up. Sign up. Maybe you don't know Jesus this morning. Maybe you think you do. Maybe you don't. Maybe you have questions about why, why should I care? Why does Jesus care? Does Jesus even care? Look at what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and to destroy. That's Satan. That's the world. But I, I have come so that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. God has always been in the business of bringing dead things back to life. Do you believe that it can happen is the question. Maybe you have some coworkers you've been working on. Do you believe God could bring them back to life, spiritually speaking? Maybe you have a brother or a sister. I have a brother I pray about who's spiritually dead. Maybe you're spiritually dead. And God wants to breathe life into you this morning. God wants to use us because he's commissioned us to do so. To stand in the middle of the valley of dry bones and to proclaim life into those bones. It's not up to us whether they come back to life or not, but it's up to God and how he chooses to do it. But we've been commanded to do so. We shouldn't let our fears and our skepticism and, and, and our disbelief or, our, or, or you know, anything else, any excuse, we shouldn't allow it to hold us back from the fact of what God wants us to do. Church, we are fellowship. We have a mission. That is to make and mature disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we have to go first. We have to get out there. We have to do it. And we have to believe that God can work the miraculous. Because if you go and you don't believe, how's it going to happen? Do we believe this morning? Thank you so much for listening today. And we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Baptist Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, give, and go.